So I used to be a pastor in a church, and I know that churches always have those, uh, those visitor's cards. So when, we moved, uh, when my family and I moved up from Sydney, and uh, we moved up to Cessnock, and we were looking for a new church to go, every church that we visited for sort of a year, two years, had those hey there type visitor's cards. And a lot of them have, you know, doctor, mister, missus, whatever. And for two years, visiting churches in sort of Cessnock and Newcastle, I used to tick doctor and then just put my surname as Love, spelled L-U-R-V-E, hoping that every Monday when the pastors were reading who'd visited their church, I went, oh, we had a Dr. Love there. And I always hoped that the guy would say it with a Love sound going on. And I was supposed to be a deputy principal at the time, so uh, you never do grow up, do you? So I've got a story to tell you that has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just figured you'd just like to hear it because I've told a few people recently and they find it absolutely hilarious. I've joined a gym and, uh, and about a month, that's right, no, it gets funnier, you wait, it gets funnier. So I joined the gym, they do this assessment of you and basically I'm really, really fit. The guy wondered if I did triathlons and stuff, I'm really, really fit, that's all great, but he said, mate, you've got no muscles. And I said, yeah, I know that, but you never like hearing it said out loud, so he said, you've actually... Stop getting on the treadmill and the bike, because I used to ride the bike a lot. He says, you've got to start lifting weights. So I go, okay. So I started on this weights thing, and then I had to have about three weeks off, because I had some stuff going on, operations and whatnot. So I get back to the gym, and I've started going at 5.30 in the morning. And I get on this machine called the 45, the incline leg press, or the 45 degree leg press, or something like that. You basically sit down on your bum, and you push the leg, the weights up. And I normally only do about 100 kilograms, right? I get there the machine this day, and there's 200 kilo on this machine. And then there's this second rack, and I thought that was the second rack where you sort of whack the free weights, like the leftover ones that you're not actually using at the time. And so there was already uh, 40 on each side there. So I take 60 off each side and just put it up on this top part of the, the machine, thinking that's just where you whack the leftover weights. And, uh, and I then get sit down to do this machine. And as I go to lift, I'm like, man, this thing's not moving. I go... And so I sort of just finally unhook it and this weight comes screaming down the machine at me and my knees end up past my ears. It's 5.35 in the morning and I just had operations done sort of in that area of the world and I had to let out the most blood-curdling scream you've ever heard in your life to get this weight off my chest, sitting down on my chest. I get it up and I lock the thing in. I go, oh my gosh, how do you have three weeks off and become so weak? What is going on? I know I've never done legs in the morning, but that's really bad, man. What are you doing? So I take another 20 off each side and I go and get a 15. And I put it up there and I go and get a 15. So I just put a 15 on each side going, okay, well, I'll ease him with that. And so I sit back down on the machine and, uh, and I unhook it again. And once again, I'm now thinking there's only 75 kilo on this machine. It comes flying down on my chest. There's two blokes sitting behind me doing their shoulders and they're big guys. Not one of them offered to help, right? I've got to squeeze this thing off. And as I'm pushing, I'm going, Darren, this is terrible. You should be able to do more. This is ridiculous. Come on, you can do this again. So I let it down on myself again. Same deal. It's up around my neck. I finally get up and hook it in. I dead set thought my insides were coming out my outside. I fed ink and thought there was going to be an almighty mess. And when they say no towel, no gym, no workout, I dead set thought a towel's not helping what's going out there. So... So I, I get off this machine and I'm absolutely cursing how weak I am. And I then go over and sit on the machine where it's like just a stack of things. You put the pin in it and you do all that. And I look at the machine from a different perspective and there's now another bloke sitting in on it. And what I realised then 
was that where I thought was whacking just the leftover free weights, I was actually putting them onto the second rack of the leg press. And so instead of only lifting 100 kilo, I had 310 kilo coming down on my chest. So now I don't know whether those blokes in the gym think I've got a personal PB, a one max rep of 310, or whether they think I'm an absolute knob for just not working out how to use machines. So anyway, that was my week at the gym last week. I haven't been on that machine since. I've stuck with the, uh, the one with the pin. A lot safer when you're 40-odd. So, there's only 25 days to go to Christmas, yeah? And, uh, and doesn't life start to get hectic? Lights going up, decorations to do. That was our house today. The kids doing the decorations and trees and all that type of stuff. I'm a little bit of a Griswold type guy. For those of you who are old enough to uh, remember the Griswold movie, there are lights go up everywhere on the house and on every part of wherever I can get a hook and a light. There it goes. There's end of year functions to organise. There's presents to try and work out. There's a family politics of who do we have the lunch with and who do we have boxing day with and do we really have to go there for Christmas dinner or can we do without that there's all of that to negotiate oh man there's so much stuff to get done have I left out any person have I got everyone a gift there's lists to make it's just never never ending it is what lots of people call the silly season yeah and then you read things like Jesus is the reason for the season I think is it him to blame for this craziness that's going on right now like what's going on surely surely that's not what he had in mind when he thought about Christmas. And I can tell you right now that there is no way that those shepherds who are watching their flocks by night were anywhere near as ridiculously hectic as we were. And if those wise men hadn't knew what Christmas was going to turn into, they would have bought like a DJ's card and a planner and a Donahue cookbook just to get them through what was going to be the next ridiculous few weeks of their life. It is crazy. It's the right gift, the right paper, the right table decoration. It's the right everything just to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who the Joneses are. It is just a ridiculous time of year where it's all about everything's got to be just so in the right way at the right time. And you're just in there, you're knowing you're going to forget one person. And you're just hoping it's the relative who's the really easy going, ah, don't worry, mate, as opposed to the one who gets uptight about absolutely everything. You know you're going to forget one thing. It is an unbelievably hectic, crazy season. Man, oh man. And for lots of us, we're trying to organise a holiday and then we want to have a break. And yet it's no break because it's actually probably busier and more stressful than what we actually do for work. Where is our focus this Christmas? The Christmas carol that says, all is calm, all is bright. That Christmas carol is a favourite for a lot of people. There's part of me that wonders if it's really only a favourite just because for the first time in three or four weeks, people have actually been able to sit and it's like the slowest Christmas carol of all and they all actually just sit in silence. Silent night. The kids aren't going to talk to me because it says silent night. So they've heard the word silence. Hopefully they keep their mouths closed. Silent night. Oh, hallelujah. All is calm. And you sing it a few times, like there's like five verses, and I think that's just so you can get into the all is calm. And I think for a lot of people, it is a favourite carol just because it actually talks about some calmness and some peace in the midst of what is a crazy, hectic season. It's a part of Jesus' ministry that often is overlooked, is that part of him that talks about Jesus being peace. It says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Peace at all times 
and in every way, even in the midst of this silly season, this hectic, crazy season, may the Lord himself grant you peace at all times and in every way. He is the Prince of Peace. You know, one time there's this storm raging on the lake. The waves are crashing. The wind is blowing. And we like watching a storm when we're watching it from a distance. And we like watching it when we're safe inside somewhere. And you get to watch it happen over the beach or you get to watch it happen over a mountain range. But when you're in the middle of a storm, it can be a really, really frightening thing. So this storm's thrashing about and these disciples, some of whom are fishermen, others weren't. They're on this boat. Everything's going crazy in their life. A little bit like what's happening to us now with this Christmas stuff. Everything's going on. And Jesus is just having a snooze down below. He's all right. They come down, they wake him up, they're terrified, they're freaking out. And Jesus just gets up. And I've always wondered how he had told the waves and stuff to be still. I didn't know if it was, it was just a, like a teacher face, you know, like being a teacher, I can like make a whole assembly just sit still with one click of a finger and they all just stop. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was a, hey, I don't know if it was just a be still. But however he spoke into that situation... Everything was calm. And the the very next verse, verse 26 of that chapter actually says, then there was calm. And, you know, this is a part of Jesus' life, is that he continued to speak calmness into times of chaos and confusion. People were sick. People needed healing. They had a sick daughter. They had a sick son. They had a wife who was sick. They had a friend who was sick on a mat. There was a woman who was sick. There was lots of these people who needed something and their life would have been in chaos. They're not allowed to be a part of society. They're being ostracized. They can't get to things. They're sitting on the side and people are just walking past. Their life would have been one of confusion and chaos. And time and time and time again, Jesus speaks peace and calmness into that situation. And tonight in your lives into our lives is there an area of life where we need some of that peace into our life is there turmoil raging in our mind is there turmoil raging in our heart is there turmoil raging in relationships and what's going on in life do we do we sort of feel as though life is a little bit out of control in some area and if so jesus speaks peace our theme for the last for the whole year has been by his spirit and over the next few weeks The topics of our sermons are going to be all is calm. All is calm and it is by his spirit. It is when Jesus' spirit, his Holy Spirit enters a situation that we can then truly experience calmness. And so for the next few weeks, all is calm. I love having people over my house. I often say that I have the gift of invitation. I'm just waiting for my wife to get the gift of hospitality. Then we will be a perfect mix, right? I invite everyone over all of the time. And the amount of times I've got home said, Esther, they're coming over and she freaks out. And you would think that after 18 years of marriage, you would learn to do it a different way. But I sort of like the thrill of what's going to happen to me and how do I get myself out of this little situation. Just keeps me on my toes. It's like every now and then on the ATM, I actually sometimes just pick the other language just to see if I can work the machine on the other language. It's just something fun to do. But anyway, so I love having people over. But whenever I do and Esther sends me to the shop, I seriously buy so much food you'd think I was trying to feed a whole nation. I have this fear that people are going to come over and not get what they want or there's not going to be enough. Like I look at the stack of dips. Do I want the spinach and feta? Do I want the cashews? Do I want the... So I buy just about all of them. 
I always walk home with about 10 or 12 dips and every type of cracker you can get, whether it's cracked pepper, sesame seed, plain, water, whatever it is, I get them all just to make sure because I don't want the person who likes jats to be at my house and get one that's only got cracked pepper on it. Ah, heaven forbid he doesn't have a good time. So I just get them all just to make sure. And then you get to the soft drink aisle and I don't know. So I grab like two of each of them as well and I get home and Esther's freaking out at me. I said, well, you sent me to the shops and you'd think she would learn, wouldn't you? Yeah, stop sending me to the shops and then we won't have this problem. So I go to the shops and I come home with so much stuff because I don't want anyone to miss out on having a really great experience. When people come to my house, I love to host and have them have a great time. I never want them to run out. A few years ago, I had turned 40. We had 80 people over. 80 people. I can only begin to tell you how much food and drink was in our house for that that festivity, it was crazy town. And Esther, every time we sort of had this budget, yeah, oh, the budget left after my first visit to the shops. I just love having people have a great experience and I don't want them to run out. Similar thing happens at Christmas, doesn't it? It's just another stress. Do they like ham? Do they like turkey? Do they like pork? Do they want a seafood? Do they want a roast dinner? Do they like the traditional hot one? Do they like it cold? Oh, get a bit of everything just to keep everyone happy so that no one misses out. And then if you're fortunate enough to live away from all your family and friends, then there's the joy of them coming and staying with you for days on end. So it's not just the one meal you've got to plan for. It's the dinner and the breakfast and the lunch and the dinner and the next few days. And then the shops are shut on Boxing Day and you don't want them to miss out because like this thing ends up going on for three days. And if you're really fortunate, like in my house, my dad's birthday is three days after Christmas and mine's six. So it's like this whole week of festivities and you don't want anyone to miss out on anything they want. So it just gets out of control. Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We read the first 11 verses and it's entitled The Wedding at Cana. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. Well, how does that concern you and me? Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Usually a host serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. We think of weddings and how much planning and organization goes in. Don't run out. All right. When there's so much planning, you want everything to be perfect. And in this situation, in this culture, running out of wine, it's like catastrophe. You're not prepared enough. You're not planned enough. You're not generous enough. You're too tight. Da, 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 da. You would have been judged by the elders. You would have been judged by the family. And I can just imagine a whole heap of the family dynamics there. There would have been that half of the family. Go, I told you it was a tight school. 
Type whatever it's type what cheap skate. I told you that's what we should never have let that wedding go ahead. You know he couldn't afford. Now is he going to keep her, keep her in the custom that we wanted to be kept to? He can't even afford the drink. There, like you can just imagine, there's that part of the family going on. Oh gosh, dude, there he is at it again. There's the other half of the family. Oh man, we've got to help this guy out. What can we do? Hey, I think I've got some left down at my place down the road. Hey, what about that guy? He always seems to have a good supply. Can we go and buy some off him? Maybe we should just cancel the whole thing. Like these voices would have been going on. There would have been competing voices going on. So what do we do to solve this problem? Because the banquet was only in its early days. It's supposed to go for longer. And now they've got a catastrophe. And into this, there's chaos. And Jesus' mother's there. So she would have known them quite well because of the way she spoke to the servants. Jesus' mother's there and she just says, do whatever he tells you. And right now what we're going to see is five ways that if we have turmoil and chaos and confusion, that Jesus can speak calmness into that situation. First is invitation. Jesus was invited to the wedding. If we want to experience a miracle, if we want the peace that we know, we need to invite Jesus into that situation. He was invited into the wedding. The miracle wouldn't have taken place in the first place if Jesus wasn't there. He wants to be a part of every part of our life. There's a guy called Nehemiah who many, many, many years before wanted to build the wall. He says to the king, hey, I want to build the wall. The king says, well, what do you want to do now? And there's this great little verse, one of my favorite in the Bible, and it says, then he prayed and he responded to the king. Then he prayed. He didn't go off for hours and hours in meditation in his bedroom and seeking. It was in the midst of conversation. The king says, what do you want? Then he prayed. Then he responded. What did he do? He invited God's presence into that conversation. The lame man sitting by the side of the road and he says to Peter and John, hey, I need some money. And they say, hey, silver and gold I don't have, but what do I have? I have Jesus. And what do they do? They invite Jesus into that situation again. If there is an area of your life tonight, that is in turmoil, that has got chaos or confusion reigning in there, invite Jesus into that situation tonight. First thing, we need to invite Jesus in. Second, secondly, intercession. We need to intercede. The wedding, they ran out of wine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, made it known to Jesus. So the second step we need is to communicate with God. Communicate with him. Let him know what your requests are. Let him know what the situation is that you want him to speak into. Instead of rushing to family and friends and, uh, and trying to get that way sorted out or sitting in your own room going, oh, it's all going to fall apart on me. I don't know what to do here. Go to God and talk with him. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Invite Jesus in and then talk to him about what it is that you want him to work in. If it's a relationship, tell him about that relationship and what you're needing in there. If it's something that you're worried about, you're confused about, you're scared about, you're fearful about, unsure about, can't overcome, let God know. There is nothing too great that he cannot speak into. So firstly, invite him in. Secondly, talk to him about it and let him know what it is. That's intercede. Thirdly, is be obedient to his instruction. So at the wedding, Mary told the servants, do whatever Jesus said. And the third step there is to do whatever Jesus says. If the servants hadn't have been obedient, the miracle would never have occurred. They were obedient to his instruction. And it was that obedience that enabled the experience to, to them to experience that miracle. 
Luke 11 says, Blessed are those who hear the word and obey it. Hear the word and obey it. And Acts 5.29 says, We must obey God rather than men. Obey the instruction. So how do you know that instruction? How do you know that voice? How do you know how to be obedient to that? And there's a number of ways that God will talk to you. He'll talk to you through a prompting in your spirit. Your heart will pound a bit faster. You might feel a bit uneasy in your guts. He'll talk to you through someone else. Whether that be a preacher, whether that be a friend, he'll talk to you through someone else. He'll prompt your conscience. Sometimes you'll hear a voice. Other times he'll make situations occur that actually just couldn't have worked out. Pam's devotional reading that night. When you hear that and you sense that, and it might be something a little bit different that you're not used to, that is God prompting you. It's not going to be the big booming voice from heaven. Hey, here I am. You may get that every now and then, but it happened to me once. You're not going to get a light flash in front of your eyes. You're not going to get a bush burning because that would freak us all out. He will talk to you in really subtle, simple, quiet ways. And if someone seems to be speaking a truth that makes some sense, that would be from God. If someone's speaking in a way that actually makes some sense into that and actually brings that sense of calmness and peace into there, there's a fair chance that that's God using that person to speak into there. And whatever they're talking about there, be obedient to that instruction. It's a great verse that I love. Learn it as a little boy. It says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It's one of the first verses my mum ever taught me. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Because to be honest with you, a lot of the time that we've got a mess in our life or confusion or chaos, it could we tried to do it on our own. We're not half as clever as we all think we are. Most of the time there's a nonsense or something going on. It's because we're just trying to do it on our own. Lean on God. Trust him. And if you're not sure how to do that, find someone who can talk to you about actually how to have that relationship with a God that you can't see but you actually know lives alive inside of your heart. Because when you start following your life that way, it makes such an incredible difference. Fourthly, we're up to four, aren't we? Anyone keeping notes? Yeah, good. I didn't number them, so I've just got to make sure. Last one, instruments. Use the instruments that are available to you. At Cana, you had water, you had jars and you had water. And from jars and water, he turned that into wine. Little boy had some bread and he multiplied that out. When Moses was a baby, they were killing all the baby boys. They whacked him in a basket and he was kept safe. When Moses was a leader, they gave him a rod and that was what he used to be able to see things, sort of part water and turn, thing, turn his rod into snake and stuff. He was able to use the rod. He's able to use what was in his hand. And a whole lot of the times, God will give you something in your hand that you can use. Because to be honest, it's actually not ours anyway. In 1 Corinthians, it says the earth is his and everything that is in it. Everything here on earth is actually his anyway. So it's not actually ours. And he can use things in an incredible way. He is God. What we think is a stick, God sees it as something different. What we think is a jar, God sees it as something different. God can use things that we don't actually think about because he is all-knowing and all-understanding. So whatever is in our hand, God can actually use. For some of us, it might actually be our schedules and our planners that we think we're in control of that. Well, I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and there's not enough hours in the day. How am I going to get all this done? Actually, give your schedule to God and pray about your planner. Pray about your calendar at the start of the week. God has an incredible way of making things really efficient. 
or making a meeting go really quick or making that you don't even need to have the meeting at all because something's sorted out. Or he's got a way of actually talking into that other person's situation that you don't know about. God can do things in incredible, miraculous ways and we sell him short when we think, oh, no, I won't worry about that because we can't use that or I'll just use this thing over here. The instrument that is in your hand, God can use. And he can use in a really powerful way what is in your hand. So think about the situation that you may have some confusion or some chaos in, some fear, and you need that sense of peace and calmness into that situation. And be asking God, God, what is it that I have that can be used in this incredible way? Simple prayers. Finally, inspiration. Is that after Jesus performed the miracle by turning water into his wine, it then says his disciples believed in him. It was his first miracle. So until then, they'd sort of been gathered with this bloke, but this was his first miracle. This was his first sign. And after that, the guys actually went, wow, now we believe in him. The miracle inspired the disciples and caused them to develop their strong faith in the Lord. And we must allow miracles that the Lord performs in our life to become an inspiration to others. Talk it out to others. Let your life reflect there is something different about your life. Let them see there's something different about you, the way you live life. Do you know at the moment I hear so many people talk about how busy and hectic we all are. I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. It's like a game. Who's more busier than who? We're all busy. All right? We don't need to keep comparing. We're all busy. So we don't need to say, how are you? I'm busy. We get that. That's ground zero. We're all busy. Actually, God's working in my life. Actually, I'm just really great, thanks. I'm really excellent. Oh, you're excellent? Why? I'm busy. You're excellent? Why? I've just got to tell you, there's actually a different way that you can live your life and show your life. Because if we are living our lives in the same freaked out, frazzled way that, oh gosh, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this and I've got this situation there that I don't need to go. That's how non-believers are living. If you're not in a relationship with God, that's how you're living. I've been there, I know that. So what changed? It changed because I had a relationship with God and when, God, when God's Holy Spirit touches your life in a powerful way, you are going to live life differently. Those situations will still be there. You'll still have those times of confusion and chaos and turmoil and you'll have relationships and you'll have fears. But actually now I've got the Holy Spirit who is alive and well within me and that allows me to handle that situation a whole heap differently to what I used to be able to handle it. And if we are not reflecting that in the way that we live our lives, we need to be inspirational to other people. Jesus was so inspirational in turning water into wine. It says the disciples then believed in him. John 14, 12 says that we will do even greater things. And if he is the Prince of Peace and he is living inside of my heart, then I too should become a Prince of Peace. And that's easier for some than for others, yeah? Some of us are like, woohoo, and and All right, we know who we are, yeah? My wife, the difference between my wife between absolutely ecstatic and like down in the dumps is this. You ready? This is ecstatic. This is down in the dumps. She is fairly calm most of the time, right? And there are some of us who we don't live our lives that way, yeah? But we are called to be the Prince of Peace. We are called to bring that peace to the world, into our workplaces, into our families, into our friendship circles, into our sporting groups, into the guys that we're hanging out with and catching up with. We've also got stuff going on, but we are called 
to do even greater things in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he brought peace into situations, then by his spirit, we bring peace into those situations as well. So, want peace. Firstly, invite Jesus in. Secondly, intercede. Talk to him about what it is. Thirdly, follow, be obedient to his instructions. Fourthly, look for the instruments that are at your disposal, that are in your life. And finally, we should be living that out in such a way that it is inspirational to those who are around us. Jesus healed sick, raised dead. He brought peace on this earth. And when we watch news and when we know what lives we live in and when we know what lives our friends are experiencing, man, I tell you what, this world needs some peace. And if we can carry that peace with us, the new covenant says that our bodies are now a temple. Yeah? If our bodies are that temple, that means the Spirit of God lives with that temple, which means we should be bringing peace every single place that we go, touching every single person's heart that we come in conversation with in the next week. So whilst there was turmoil at the wedding, chaos, they couldn't fix it. What do we do? Ah, then what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine and what did he do? He produced the best. You know, there's that situation in our life going on right now and we can't even see a way out. Jesus actually wants to supernaturally, with the power of his Holy Spirit, make it even better than it was beforehand. And he has this incredible way. We've got five loaves and some fish and we've got thousands of people. Guess what? There's 12 baskets left over. Peter and John, when they touched that lame man, said, silver and gold I don't have, but I have the name of Jesus. What did he do? He got up leaping and bounding and praising God. He didn't just get up and hobble away or walk away. This is after years of being paralyzed. He got up leaping and bounding and it's the same. He actually brought out the best wine at the end of the night. When Jesus' Holy Spirit brings peace and calmness into that time of confusion and chaos, it is even better than it was before. If you're sitting here tonight and you can't see that way out, Jesus can touch that life. Job lost a family. Job lost his riches. And what happened? He became even wealthier at the end of his life than he was at the beginning. Jesus wants to touch your life in that situation tonight. Satan is called a deceiver in Revelations 12.9. And he deceives us in many different ways. And one of the ways he deceives us is keep us from living the life that God would have us. Jesus Christ said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And Satan tries to keep us from that. And one of the ways he keeps us from that is by keeping us in that state of confusion and chaos and fear and turmoil. And that is not a life living to the full. And Jesus Christ says, I may have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Tonight he wants you to have that life to the full. He wants you to have peace in those areas in your life that are full of chaos and confusion. Will you invite him into that place tonight? We're going to hear from Luke and Joel. And they're actually going to sing for us, Silent Night. Maybe for the first time all weekend or first time all week, we've got a chance to be still. And as we sing the words, all is calm. As Joel is singing, all is calm. All is calm. Invite him into that space in your life where you need that calmness and you need that peace of God to dwell. Tell him about it. Tell him about it. He cares for you and he wants you to have life to the full. Let's be still and sing, all is calm.